Today, we are so excited to have Elizabeth Byrne with us to talk about emotional intelligence, management styles, and the best ways to be an effective manager. Elizabeth is a licensed and board certified counselor with over 20 years of experience providing therapy to individuals, couples, and groups, as well as training and facilitation in community and professional settings. We are so excited to have Elizabeth Byrne licensed professional counselor here with us today to have this conversation. So welcome, Elizabeth. Thanks so much, Tanya. Yes. Um, and I should also say that you are also one of our consultants at the Ladipo Group. So we mm -hmm. do a ton of work together. Um, mm -hmm. And so I, I'm really excited to have the conversation. With you. Me too. Um, so we've talked about this before, um, but often people um, when they are promoted into management positions, mm -hmm. they tend to get promoted into management positions because they're so great <laughs> at their role and job as an individual, individual contributor, but not because of management skills, right? Mm -hmm. And so people get promoted into management and often don't get any training on how to be a people manager. And so I'm just curious in your opinion, like what are the core skills that are needed for good people management? Yeah. Um, I mean, you're so right. It's often people are put in a position to wing it. And so they have extra responsibilities and now they have a team of people that they're also needing to manage. And it's a lot of stress with not often the appropriate scaffolding to position them for success. Um, I think, you know, one of the key things is communication styles, because when you are, when you are an individual contributor, it's you you know, communicating directly with your manager um, and your, your peers. But when you are leading teams, you need to be able to be multilingual, if you will, across people's various styles of communicating and understanding where they're coming from and how someone will best hear what it is that you're asking of them. And sometimes people come to the work with a level of rigidity thinking I should be able to just say this in this one particular way and it's your job to pick it up and then move with it. But if we have this disconnect, you're just gonna make your work so much harder and also theirs and raise frustration levels and, 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 right? It's just gonna get harder and harder. So I'm kind of really hooking down on that last part that you just said, because it can be really easy to say, well, this is just how I communicate. Other people haven't had trouble with it. So why do I have to change? And to your point of, it actually makes your job harder. Right. Right. So if you put the effort into to being multilingual in terms of your communication style and changing it to just, like you said, so people can hear it, it actually benefits you as a manager. It, it makes it so much more time efficient. You know, you're actually able to meet your goals and deliverables so much more quickly and with less frustration across the entire team. You know, and it gives you an opportunity to create buy-in with your team members so that then they're also excited, hopefully, for the work that it is that you're trying to work on and put through. Um, you know, we talk a lot about just the, uh, the value of, well, value doesn't even feel like a strong enough word because it's so essential, the level of emotional intelligence for folks to build especially in their leadership work, because these are people, they're not robots, right? And so we need to be able to connect with folks 
in a person to person kind of way, not just in a, well, here's your list of tasks. Now go take care of them. I have work to do, right? That another thing that I think complicates things for people in management is that they also have an extended list of tasks that they're expected to do. And they're often not given an appropriate amount of time to put towards people management, which is often the bulk of the time of your day. Like you can be putting out fires um, with your, with your team and interactions that they're having with others and then you're trying to cram in your tasks at the end, which can then lead to just this cycle of frustration. And then people are more short-tempered when someone's struggling with something because now this is more time out of my day and I'm going to be going home later and blah, 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 blah. So, I mean, so really organizations are beyond the people management, right? It needs to be structured in a way so people managers can be successful, right? Yeah. So they have time, to your point, so that they have time to tend to their team, which is necessary for the work mm-hmm. to be done well. You know, you were saying that I was listening to you talk about kind of difference of here's your task, just do what I say, versus kind of paying attention to the person on your team doing the work and getting giving them more explanation and getting buy-in. And it's like a, it's a different way of working, mm-hmm. um, right? Mm-hmm. And I would say especially generationally, depending on, you know, how, where people's ages. Um, But I would say probably 40 plus or mid forties and up kind of came up during an era where you just do what you're told. Yes. Right. (laughs) And I would say people younger than that are wanting what exactly what you're saying. Like, well, why am I doing this? What is the purpose? Like, how can I add value? And so I'm just noticing like, and now also there's so many, what are there, five generations now working in the workforce together. Um, so I'm thinking about the communication that needs to happen, but I think I just want to hear more about like, it's a people, it's a shift to a people centric way of working, not a task oriented way of working. Right. Right. Well, and I would also kind of add in like uh, it's, also a shift away from a fear avoidance way of working, right? The do what I say kind of method comes with like, do what I say so you don't get in trouble, right? And the the thought around like, um, there aren't any other jobs out there and that you're lucky to have this one and all these other sort of things that um, create a sense of fear in the employee so that they're willing to stay later, they're willing to take on more work that they're not paid for, they're willing to put up with a whole mess of nonsense amongst their team, you know, they're willing to kind of just sit and endure microaggression after microaggression, even though they've brought it up to their manager and have gotten lip service, but no action, because there's been that fear planted of there is nothing else out there or the job market is so tight or whatever, right? Like generationally, that has been the thing where the expectation is you might be in a, you might be in a job for decades, right? But there isn't any sort of, that, 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 that has shifted so much. And especially since like the last several years, you know, we've seen so many people who have started to see like, actually, I don't have to put up with this. 
Uh-huh. You know? uh-huh. and, and, and management has to move on that. I mean, the fear-based was never great. It was never the way to go, but it was what was passed down like after, you know, one after the other. And now we really have to shift gears if people aren't already thinking about like, how do I care for my team so that they're excited to be here? You know, like if yeah. we're expecting people to spend the majority of their day at work, why are we not making it something that feels so fulfilling and exciting for them and connecting for them where they're growing and it's improving their life in a multitude of ways? It's a really big shift. It's a cultural shift of mm-hmm. how to work and how to manage people's current day expectations, right? Mm-hmm. You know, when you were talking, I was thinking and wondering, um, and want to kind of get your take on this, the, the, how do I want to say this? There's always been a lot of people who work, but I think the visibility of who works is now greater. So what, what I'm trying to say is, you know, I think in the past, we think in the 1950s, you know, men went out to work, um, women stayed home. It's actually only one narrative, but I feel like that's a story that we've been given. I think a lot of people have always worked, right? Oh, yeah. And it has definitely with very depending on, on race and gender and class background. Um, but now we realize a lot of different people work and in the, in the, in the, the way you were talking about kind of talents and workers saying, I don't want to endure being treated awfully anymore. Like the diversity of voices and perspectives saying that, mm-hmm. I think is what I was thinking of, like part of the shift, the shifting the power dynamics. Mm-hmm. So I just, I, that's, that's just what came to mind when you were talking. Right. Yeah. And, and that that's not something to be uh, afraid of, you know, like so many folks, I think traditionally are, um, it makes them nervous to think of the shifting of a power dynamic. But if, if everyone is seeing the value in the work that we're engaged in together on a team, then it doesn't matter as much who sort of is the the lead of that team, right? Like, because if we are growing a team that is on board and invested, then anyone there could be someone to step up into that role at any given moment, right? Like, I think there's often been this practice of, um, again, that I think comes from a place of fear of, I need to be, I need to make sure that, that you can't fire me, right? That I need to be, um, uh, what's the word? Irreplaceable. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I have had peers in the past who it was, it was just so striking, like the places that they would the, their filing system was confusing. Nobody understood it but them. And it was job security for them. Uh uh Like I literally saw somebody who was likely to be let go 
not get let go because nobody understood his system, you know, but like that again is not how we create overall success for an organization. Mm -hmm. It's not how we create like true success and growth for our people that we're working together with or trying to manage and lead. Like, I don't know. I've always just kind of thought of like, who's going to step in? Like I should be able to be sick. I should be able to go on vacation. You know, like everybody should have that opportunity and know that there are other people on their team who are capable, willing, and interested in trying that out. And how do we, like, how, how do we work to, you know, build up our replacements so that we don't have to stick around all the time? You know, like, it's just, there's so much of it that is counter to the way that folks have been doing this for so long. And so what would you say, I think, for people managers who, whether they're new people managers or they've been people managers for a long time, but are realizing they need to change their style to be more effective, like what exactly do they need to do differently? Mm -hmm. Um, I think the first thing is some self-reflection around, am I trying to lead or am I trying to control Because, well, I mean, again, to the fear piece, right? Like, am I, am I dictating to my team or am I taking the time to explain to folks, this is our goal. This is what I want to accomplish. This is what I need your help with. Like, we need to work on this together and let's talk about the different tasks. You know, I mean, ideally you can have a group where someone is like, I hate making phone calls. And someone else is like, I actually don't mind phone calls. I actually kind of like it. Well, great. Now, because we've had this honest conversation, we can divvy up tasks to play to people's strengths, Hmm. you know, and that's not always possible, but there are often ways where we can be tweaking things to play to what people do best which is going to bring out their best, right? you know, but it has to, it requires a a willingness to not necessarily do it the way that you were thinking, right? So as a manager, being willing to hear the feedback from your team and be really open about what they're saying, not have it just be a listening session that goes nowhere, But a listening session that then I walk, if I'm the manager, that I'm walking out with actionable items of what to try differently. And then being transparent with the team, perhaps, of like, well, okay, so we have this thing coming up. And I'm nervous to try things differently because we're on a tight timeline. Can we do this particular one this way? And I'd like to work with a team to re-envision how we do the next project you know, so that we have more time to do that. Like being able to know how I'm feeling, name it, put it out there, normalize that. Like I get to be a human too, that is nervous about doing something differently and asking my team to join me in this process rather than again, just pop down. So you're talking a ton of the way I'm understanding a lot about emotional intelligence and relationship building. Mm-hmm. Right. And so can you just, I guess, say a little bit more, like we hear the emotional intelligence a lot, like what, yeah. what exactly does that mean, especially in relationship to being a people manager? The, I think, 
I think what a lot of times people think it is, is can I be smart about emotions to manage you better? Uh And um, in a almost like manipulative way, although I think a lot of people would not call what they're doing manipulation. um, But what it really is, is do I know myself enough so that I'm aware of how I am showing up and impacting those around me? Mm. Right. Am I a manager who gets visibly frustrated, raises my voice and uses strong language and then expects my team to be able to break from the meeting and go do what they're supposed to do? Right. Like, because if that's my rhythm, there's a reason why my team is struggling and it's me. Mm. Mm. Uh Uh And so being aware of that and then change it. Yes. (laughs) Being willing to not raise your voice, not yell, you know, like not try to incite fear. Again, we come back to, am I trying to control you or am I trying to lead? So I have a question because you talked about self self self-reflection and, and I think those that's, that's, is important. Um, But sometimes really hard to do. Like sometimes it's hard for us to to reflect on what we're doing in a really objective way because we're not objective, right? Yeah. Um, and you had mentioned getting feedback from your team. So how do you then source feedback, which could then help you do the self-reflection? Like, how do you get honest input from your team? Um, but yeah, let me leave it at that. Like, how do you just get on? Because... <laughs> Yeah. I mean, I always say for me, like if I, if I'm asking my team for feedback and everybody says everything's great, there's nothing I can change. (laughs) Then I know I'm not getting real feedback. Right. Right. So how do you get real feedback? Uh, Well, I think a big piece of it is you have to put in the work to build the trust. And, and so that's just period, like for starters, for everything, Um, I would say 360s, asking for anonymous 360s um, that are truly anonymous and also looking to peers, you know, folks who have less to lose if they have Uh feedback to give me, listening to what my manager is bringing up as my areas of growth Uh rather than like if, if I'm in a position where I always have an excuse for why somebody said something. (laughs) then I really got to look harder at myself because there's a reason like, you know, I mean, sure. Somebody might have a bad day and they say something. Okay. But if it's not just a one-off, if it keeps coming up. And so am I paying attention? Cause that's the other thing. Sometimes people treat things as individual circumstances. Mm -hmm. Like this is a unique situation and they don't actually back up to see that this is actually something that's been going on for years, you know, what kind of feedback are you getting in your personal life? What does your family say? What does your partner say? What are your kids, if you have them, telling you? Because they're going to be straight up and honest in really rude ways sometimes. <laughs> but they will tell it to you straight. They will tell you. Um, you know, so just thinking about it in those ways, like where else am I getting? Because it's about how we're interacting, right? Like we're not so uniquely different in such a dramatic way at work as than we are in the rest of our lives. There are elements that people shift, but there's those core components of how I show up with someone. You can't just make that go away, 
right? So you can, if you're having a hard time getting feedback at work and a 360 comes with like kind of nothing, a lot of very, you know, I don't know, fluffy kind of responses, then looking elsewhere in your life for feedback that's relatable to work is, is going to be helpful. But I will say, if your 360 gives you feedback that feels unactionable, mm. have not done the work to create trust and your team isn't interested in helping you grow because they are probably not feeling like you care about their own growth. Say more about that. Well, it takes like... If I'm given a survey and I don't, you know, we do this for any kind of survey that shows up, right? Like, how was your doctor visit today? Like, if I don't really care, like, I'm just like, whatever, or I ignore it or I don't do it. But if I'm like, you know what? I really like this person a lot. I can see how they can grow. And there's this area where they continue to struggle. I wish this would be different for them. Uh I'm going to take time to now do this because I'm invested in you. Uh But if I'm in your if you are leading me and I feel like you are not invested in me at all and all you, and you're constantly asking more of me and providing less and I'm having less time with my children, right? Then I don't care about your 360. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So <laughs> the more we talk, the more being a people manager is a huge responsibility. Yeah. I mean, huge So taking, I mean, paying attention to how you're reacting, caring for your team, building trust with them, investing in them so that they can also invest in you so that the work can be better. Mm -hmm. That's, that's a big, I think that's a big role and a big charge. And so I'm just curious, how do you suggest people managers do this on a daily basis. And right. I think the word I also wanted to pull into it um, was psychological safety. Mm-hmm. Because the way I'm hearing you talk is how are people managers creating environments where, where they can be vulnerable, where their team can be vulnerable. where they can be vulnerable, where their team can be vulnerable and sharing what is relevant to make the work better. Mm -hmm. And so how do people managers create that kind of space and maintain it, I think, beyond, you know, a twice a year team building exercise, right? Go do a ropes course. Right, (laughs) right which are great. They're great. I love ropes courses, but yeah, I think, you know, you use the word daily and, and I was thinking it's a thousand little things, Mm. right? It's, it's seeing you and asking, how are you? It's noticing when something shifts in how you show up and actually making time to check in. If my story to myself is I'm always too busy, then I'm, I'm not going to have a team necessarily that feels cared for and connected. And that doesn't mean we have to go to happy hours all the time and all this extra stuff. It's all like, and I think that's something, I mean, those things have their purpose for sure. But a lot of times people lean on these extracurriculars as the space where we get to know each other. Mm. 
Whereas it can happen in every engagement. You know, how am I, how am I talking to you? Am I taking a minute to breathe before I jump into a meeting? Am I looking at you? Like, do I really see you? Or am I just trying to blow through the agenda, right? Like, how, in what ways am I slowing down and willing to slow down to really get a sense of who I am working with and what's going on? And then when I know what's going on, what am I doing about it? Right? Like, uh, one of the things that has kicked up, you know, sometimes talking with managers is like, so what? Now I got to be a therapist? Like, no. Absolutely not. We're not like that. That is, as you and I know, a huge job. <laughs> like we are not asking that. Well, we're, you know, like what, what we're talking about is extending the same level of openness to everyone on the team as you do to your favorites. Okay. Say that again. Extending the same level of openness that you, to everyone on the team that you do to your favorites. Like people already know how to do this, but they do it selectively. You just said it all. You just said it all. <laughs> I mean, that's how, that's how you shift the culture in a really positive way for your team. So that suddenly everybody feels like your favorite because you're, because <laughs> you're treating them that way. Mm-hmm. And so I think there's two things I want to pull out of this. I want people who are listening to pause and think about what do they do with their favorites? What do they say? Um, what do they offer in terms of time, right? Mm-hmm. And I'd just be curious, Elizabeth, if you would give some kind of concrete examples of what what people do with their favorites that we can mimic with everybody. Sure. I mean, at the bare minimum, you smile at your favorite. You look at them and you smile and you say, Hey, you know, it's not just, Hey, Tanya. Hi. Blah, 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 blah. Right. Like, all right, guess let's get down to it. It's like, Hey, Tanya, how are you? How was your weekend? How's your day going? What'd you pack for lunch? You know, like, (laughs) <laughs> or like so oh, basic and simple so basic and so powerful yeah i could hear it in your voice even when you just did the two different ways right mm-hmm. one is like like oh here we go again let's just get yeah. through this mm-hmm. and the other is oh you're excited to see me <laughs> that mm-hmm. felt good that felt nice mm-hmm. now how can i help make this company better and do our work better which makes it you know like it it sounds so like trite in some ways, right? Like, oh, now all I got to do is smile at everybody. It's going to be fine. Like, uh, yes and no. Like, <laughs> you know, like, it's just, it's so different when you, when you're walking on a street and you like see somebody and you smile and you give them a little head nod or you say, good morning. I am recognizing you as a human, right? Like I'm seeing you as a person and not just a body passing me on the street. People are often feeling so invisible. And and that, I mean, that is how you build connection is by letting people know that you see them and then doing something about it, right? And so in the doing, it's like, 
do I know that somebody, somebody's got a, a, a sick kid and they need some extra time or they need the flexibility this week to work from home? Can I uh, permit that? And also, can I figure out, okay, so here's the, here's the tasks that have to get done that are on your plate today or this week. What do you need help with? Right? Like I can acknowledge that you are in a unique situation this week. And how do we figure out how to get this whole thing still taken care of and acknowledge that you have some needs that you don't usually have, right? Like it's, it's that kind of flexibility or allowing somebody to be like, I am so worn out. I slept terribly. Like, okay, what do you need? Do you need to knock off at half? Like, do you need a half a day? Like, and a lot of times that can sound like, oh, we're solving everything by giving people time off. But if we think about a large part of how we cause the problem is by sucking up everybody's time well beyond <laughs> what we're paying them for, <laughs> providing them with some time back <laughs> that we're not docking off their PTO is a way of sort of acknowledging that, you know? And I love, I love all the examples you're giving. And also I'm kind of in my brain, couching it with the understanding of how you would treat your favorite. You would see your, that you would see the tiredness, you would hear it in your favorite. you would want to support them, right? Mm-hmm. And it still works. So you would still want them to do their job and get it done. Mm-hmm. But with your favorite, to your point, like you would give, you would give the suggestion of, do you need to take time off? You would give the, the you would ask the question of, how, how can we help you get this done so you can still, you know, take care of your sick child? Um, so just that, just focusing on like, how do you treat your favorite? And then how do you replicate that elsewhere? The difference is empathy a lot of times, right? Like we're bringing empathy into those relationships that we value and prioritize. And we don't necessarily put the effort in for it if we don't. Mm-hmm. And people mm-hmm. feel that on the surface. Yep. It can look the same. I provide you with the same information, the same resources on paper. Everything is the same. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But people feel the difference about whether or not you actually care or not. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And when we are consistent, then we get to have more honest conversations of like, hey, so I know you're working really hard. And also I've had to ask for this thing six times. That is taking time out of my day. That is derailing my focus. I don't really love it. What can we do to fix this problem? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right? As opposed to like, <laughs> you're wasting my time. You know, <laughs> this is going on your performance improvement plan, blah, 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 blah. Right? Like, again, like it's, am I, am I coming from a place of seeking connection which still gets to come with accountability Yes. or am I coming from a place of trying to instill fear because I want to control you? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm also thinking when, as you're talking, I'm thinking about workforces that have diversity or are trying to have more diversity. Right. Um, I'm thinking especially race, gender diversity, all kinds of diversity, but I'm really thinking, I'm really thinking race um, and gender, because I think what we tend to do is we tend to gravitate to people who are like us. I think that's just, that's just human. Right. And so if we do that, then our favorites tend to be people who are like us, which means people who are not like us 
tend to feel excluded. And so if yeah. you're in management in a majority, right? So if you're a white man, for example, like who you might feel affinity to might be other white men. Mm-hmm. Nothing wrong with that. It's just when they're treated differently, right? And right. so to your point, like if you if you're treating everybody like your favorite, it's it's almost a very um, not almost Elizabeth. It's a very intentional way to create this environment where everybody feels like they belong, where everybody feels seen. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you're able to do it regardless of race, gender, religion, sexuality, ability, right? Regardless of identities and experiences because you're treating everybody like your favorite. Right. Right. If we're managing well, we are being consistent across everyone. Yes. Yes. And it's not going to just stop at work. Because if we're doing, we're talking about how we connect and communicate with people. If I'm doing that and really truly value this, it's going to spill into my friendships, my relationships, every other way, like the way that I engage with, you know, the person helping to ring me up at the grocery store. It's going to come across everywhere. Again, it leads me back to this is a powerful role to do well, to do well. Well, actually, I think people managers have a lot of power whether they do it well or not. <laughs> well, that's right? true. <laughs> uh, but I feel like maybe power is not quite the word I, I want to use here as much as responsibility. Mm. Right? Because if you're making the change at work and to your point, it also carries over into the rest of life. Mm-hmm. It's a big, it's a big responsibility that um I think we should just be thoughtful of. Yeah. And I think, you know, some of the pushback that folks often have is that I don't know this is all well and good, but I don't have time for this. So say, say more. Um, I think say more and give examples of how we can make time. Yeah. I mean, I think, again, we come back to the daily, right? Like the thousand little things. There's so many different ways that we can just, again, by looking at someone, seeing somebody smiling at them, right? Mm -hmm. Like that does not take much more than an extra second or if at all, because you're in the same meeting anyway, right? Like um, (laughs) I might as well smile. Might as well. (laughs) Um, But it does take a level of um, a willingness to prioritize doing things differently. And that does take extra time and effort upfront because we're learning new skills. Mm-hmm. We're learning how to engage differently and we're going to feel awkward about it initially because it's not our usual way, mm-hmm. right? If we're doing something different. And so there needs to be a commitment to, you know, messing up, trying something again being willing to like, well, I smiled at that person and they looked at me really awkwardly. And now I feel weird. Like it's, you know, middle school cafeteria choosing a table again, right? Like managers are not like exempt from those experiences. And so this is where we come back to how well am I managing my own emotions Mm -hmm. so that they don't spill out everywhere when I'm activated. 
You know, so, I mean, <laughs> one key thing that would only take an hour a week out of your life, perhaps, is get you a therapist. <laughs> <laughs> well, get a therapist and or um, I love your point, an hour a week of how do you take time for yourself to dump what needs to be dumped, mm-hmm. to do self-reflection, to process whatever needs to be processed. Um and to get kind of care and support in that. Yeah. Like what yeah. kind of, like, how am I spending my commute if I have one? Yes. You know, like what kinds of things could, like, could be a great place to be listening and learning, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. So there's lots of spaces that we have in our weeks. It's just how, what we choose to prioritize there. Yeah. You know, one thing I wanted to I'm noticing the time, actually, two things. Um, I was curious, because you mentioned it at the beginning, just from an organizational perspective that, you know, managers aren't given time, enough time to manage, right? And so I was just kind of really curious what you think organizations can do to create better work environments and hold people accountable in doing so, right? So Mm -hmm. everybody feels included and mm-hmm. um, have, has equitable opportunities. Like I'm curious from an organizational perspective, not just the people manager perspective, what mm-hmm. shifts need to be made, which will yeah. ultimately support people managers and everybody else. Right, like where can we create that room? Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't imagine many people would um, argue against reducing meetings particularly for people in leadership, the entire day can be totally sucked up into meetings. And Mm -hmm. a lot of times it's sort of useless. I mean, Mm -hmm. not all of them, but like most meetings can be really truncated down to half Mm -hmm. the time that they actually take. Mm -hmm. Um, So that would be my start off because that is one of the most common feedbacks that we hear people complain about but then they're the ones showing up to the meetings and scheduling them themselves because that's the norm of the organizational system you know like um so that would be the one one first thing i'd think of the other thing i'm thinking of is um one of the places that um i worked at had had their system was different than anywhere else. Like everywhere else I worked, it was like just this real grind mentality (laughs) um, that you often find in many industries. Um, This one particular place had a, um, their norm was two days out of the week. There was no meetings. Those were no meeting days. Wow. I know. Right. Yeah. You were, you were expected to be taking care of absolutely everything else and being productive about the tasks at hand. It was one of my favorite places to work. I love that from the organizational perspective. Yeah, it was it was really great, and a lot of people would think like, "Oh my god, two days of no meetings? How do you get anything done?" Actually, we got get all of things done. done. <laughs> you had two days to get all of it done. <laughs> it was wonderful. You'd be so efficient. Yes. <laughs> so looking at where again we come into shutting down meetings, but like, where can you like offer some protective time? You know, because I'm just thinking like uh, when I've been managing teams, I'm thinking of them off the clock 
I'm I'm thinking of them first thing in the morning. I'm thinking about different people and what they're going through and how, what, what kind of chess pieces do I need to move today so that we can move really cohesively and well, you know, so that's a lot of off the clock time, Uh headspace, right? Like, Uh um, without dedicated time to be able to do that. I don't know how else you get to do, you know, like making space to do what needs to be done. Yeah. Elizabeth, is there anything that you want our listeners to, to do to anything that you would recommend that they could take and do after listening to this that you think would kind of make the most change or have the biggest impact for them and their team? Um, I would say like what first comes to mind is to carve out 30 minutes here or there within this, within a week of really thinking about what kind of manager do I want to be? Because mm-hmm. oftentimes, like you said in the beginning, people get hired because they're great at what they do, but not because they're not because anybody's given any thought into helping grow them as a manager. Mm-hmm. And then you're just thrown into like trying to get the daily things done. So making space of really being intentional and proactive of what do I, like, how do I want to be showing up? What kind of manager do I want to be? Thinking about, have I had a manager in my career? Hopefully you have, that I would like to emulate certain things about what they brought to my experience, you know? And that's only going to give the one view because what worked well for me is not necessarily a universal thing that's going to work well for folks, but it can get you started in thinking about it. And then to asking the team, like, what works well? Like, normalizing the fact that we think about this stuff, you know, we should have a conversation of like, how do you respond best? What Uh what kind of management style has worked well for you in the past? Right. Because these are the people in front of me that I'm trying to lead. It's important for me to know what works for them, not just my best guess. Right. And asking to getting that real feedback. And and knowing that a lot of times you have to ask more than once to get a true Uh answer. Mm-hmm. More than once in different ways. Yep. Elizabeth, thank you. I th- thank you. Thank you for sharing your knowledge and your expertise and your passion for people being connected and seen and doing good work with accountability. I'm just really, really grateful for you, to you, for you, um, and sharing the time with you. So thank you. Thanks, Tanya. It's been such a pleasure and an honor to be here. And I always love talking with you. I know. I know. I want to keep doing it, (laughs) but I'm mindful of time. So we'll end and we'll say for now. Um, And thank you. Thank you for listening to the Managing Well podcast. Please be sure to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. If you want to learn more about today's topic, go to www.theladipogroup.com slash podcast for a worksheet on today's episode.